You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of You Play A What. You know, I've reached a point in my life where it seems like I've known most of my friends for more than 10 years and I have no idea where all the time went. Today, I speak to one such person that I met 10 years ago. I have seen his career transform over the years and I have seen him mature marginally over time. My guest today is former award-winning Yangting extraordinaire Derek Ko. Derek and I share a number of hobbies which includes computer games, football and a deep hatred for our daily commute from home to school when we were still studying. I had a great time catching up with him and hear about his time in the Big Apple and also his current artistic endeavours. Enough from me now. Please enjoy You Play A What with Derek. My guest today is well-versed in both Western and Chinese music performance. Having won his first music-related award since he was eight, he has went off to have a pretty exciting career. He is now part of Dingyi Music Company and has also performed with the Singapore Symphony Orchestra and the Singapore Chinese Orchestra, just to name a few. What he might lack in height, he definitely makes up for in charisma and confidence. Welcome to the show, Derek. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. Um, thank you for inviting me, Vincent. <laughs> I like that <laughs> intro at the end. <laughs> <laughs> nah, no problem. Absolutely my pleasure to have you on the show. This is actually the first time I'm doing the recording of the podcast where I can still see the sun. Oh, really? This is the first time? Yeah, it's always been evening recordings. I guess they're lazy. Lah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you for agreeing to speak to me in the early morning. Mm-hmm. Let's just kind of get down to the question of what do you play? Right, so um, actually I play percussion. Uh, I major in Western percussion actually. But uh, previously when I, when I actually knew you in Nafa, I was a Yang Qing major. I used to play this Chinese instrument called the Yang Qing. Yeah. But way before that, when I was a kid, I started out with piano, right? So yeah, it's, a, it's been a long journey of changing instruments. <laughs> I see. And I, I'm actually quite surprised that you didn't mention that you play Dota. I thought that would come out first before you talk about percussion. 
I was trying to be serious, Vincent. <laughs> Actually, some backstory to why I say that. Derek has always claimed that I ruined his life by introducing him to the game of Dota. Oh. When we were in school together a couple of years ago, of course, I would gladly wear this badge with honor and pride if it was true. But I actually don't think it's true. I mean, I admit to uh, introducing you the game. But I think instead of ruining your life, I've brought you many hours of joy and camaraderie that you built with four other <laughs> friends for the last couple of years. I mean, yeah. I mean, Vincent was probably the one that introduced and made me uh, got hooked up to Dota. And then it has just changed my life in a... You can call it positive or negative, like if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's it's got it's kind of fasted into probably something that is uncontrollable, and or, or into a routine, I would say, right? I mean, if without uh, if there is no Dota in my life, I think I would have done so much more in my career. <laughs> 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 all the distractions, man. All the all those practice yeah. hours, man. Think about it. Well, I, I guess then in that case, uh, we'll, we'll never know what could have been, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but without it, I think my life will be very dark. <laughs> okay, so now back to the, the serious stuff. Uh, let's talk about percussion for now, right? Which is what you're doing now. Has anyone asked you this question? Like, what's so difficult about playing percussion? It's basically just like hitting stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, in general, like, if a person is not really into music, or like not in a conservatory or college yet, mm. you'll think that playing percussion is really easy, right? You just hit, you don't have to prepare like your um, notes. You don't really need to care about intonation. I mean, actually we don't have to care about intonation unless we're on the timpani. But actually why percussion is very hard is because you have to, you have to think that we have so many instruments to take care of and to prepare them, right? Mm. And every instrument is actually um, really different. So for example, if you are moving from um, the bass drum to playing a pair of cymbals, right? The weight on your hands, the, the amount of pressure and force on your body is different for each instrument. Yeah. So your body has to be like really accustomed to moving around, making different sounds sound good, right? Making different good sounds. And mm. yeah, you have to be quick and your reaction time has to be fast. So yeah. I think not many people understand that um, playing percussion is not, it's not difficult. What I can say, it, it's not difficult like maybe um, mastering a trumpet, uh, playing a high note on a trumpet, right? But it is difficult because it is a craft on its own and you have to be good at many things. And of course, you have to be musical as well, right? Mm. So I feel the most, uh, the saddest thing is people think that playing percussion, you do have to be musical, but they are, they are so wrong, right? Because a yeah. musical cymbal crash is always much more pleasant than a, you know, like a random psh, right? Which, yeah. which you hear in many like, well, like young kids do. Right? So, mm, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And I think you made a pretty interesting point because everything is labeled under the title percussion, right? So, sometimes people forget that in this bracket of percussion, there's so many different instruments. And like you said, the, the changing between one to the other when you're playing like multiple instruments in a piece can be quite daunting. As, as a brass player, if I had to switch instruments mid-piece, that creates a certain amount of stress. Just trying to adapt from one instrument to the other. And most of the time, when we have to do that kind of switch, the difference is not that big. But like I said, comparing, say, playing the bass drum or the snare drum to something that is completely different, like the crash cymbal 
yeah, I could imagine that um, that that sort of physical sensation that you get from different instruments are extremely different. And you you basically have only one opportunity to make it count, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean another thing that, uh, that I forgot to add is that um, basically we are always resting, right? I mean, mm. not okay, not always, but like um, maybe fifty percent of the composers, right? They will write like uh, you play a few notes here and then you rest for maybe a twenty bars, and then you play a few notes there. The more traditional composers will be like um, there there will not be so many instruments, right? But for the more mm. contemporary composers and uh, more like the modern uh, uh, works, normally like you have to play so many instruments for one part, right? So, um, for example, you have to count like twenty four bars before you go and play one cymbal hit, and then you have to go on to play three hits on this thing, and 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 so on and so forth. So mm. at the twenty four bars, honestly, if you slip up for one bar, right? I mean, it it, hap- it happens all the time. I've been counting bars my life, right? Yeah. But when I reach, for example, maybe fourteen. Sometimes, mm. sometimes you might ask yourself, oh shit, it, am I like at 40 now or am I at 50 now? You know? Yeah, definitely. You start to doubt. Yeah, yeah. and then the, the worst thing is when uh, if it goes to, if, if it's like um, a 48 bar rest, right? Oh, this, this stuff thing is the worst. And if mm. it's like a new music, you don't even know what you're playing, right? You have yeah. never heard it before or there's no yes. recording for you to get prior preparation. So yeah, it's, it's really tough on your mental side also. Mm, definitely. Now, so you've been back in Singapore for close to a year now, probably just a little bit under. Yep. And how has things been for you so far? And how is settling back in Singapore been for you? Apart from the tiny bit of disruption that uh, happened to be by the name of uh, COVID-19. Tiny bit has been, uh, is an understatement, my dear. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I have been lucky enough to come back Singapore many times during my stay in New York uh, because of gigs and there was once it's because of my cousin's wedding so I came back um, in the winter but mm-hmm. the, all of, uh, the rest of the time I was always back I was only in New York for like two years and so when I came back I think it's not really different right but of mm-hmm. course it's it's always um, good to be back home and I really yeah. really love uh, Singapore as a country not for their arts, but for the country who we are. Like we are safe, and you know, I'm I'm really glad that I'm here now. That this COVID um thing has happened. Mm, yeah. 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 Situation in in the US is not great at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's, it's terrible. I think um, I really hope the people there are safe. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been in touch with some of your friends there? How are they? Most of my friends that are non-Americans, like for example, they are from Korea or Taiwan. Many of them are from Taiwan. Um, mm. Everyone has like went back to their country. And so for many of them, they are still continuing their studies, like who hasn't graduated, right? Mm. The modules have been changed to like online and some of the modules are offline, right? So if you're a person with some common sense, you will not go back to America right now in this current climate. So yeah. um, it is very tough like, because... Many of them are thinking about taking a sabbatical leave for like a year or like maybe a semester because mm. it is so stupid to, you know, you pay your full school fees. It's full school fees, by the way, right? So it's very yeah. expensive if you don't have a scholarship. Mm. You're paying the school fees to take like online stuff, you know? It is, it, and then you can't have like a proper lesson with your teacher because for percussion especially, you know, you you have your lessons through Zoom. It's um 
laggy because you're in a different country and then the sound yeah. because we are so loud and we're so soft actually in a way. So so it's, it's not very productive. Yeah. yeah, so all the sounds will be distorted. Yeah, and I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Basically, students then are paying full fees for something like a Coursera or Skillshare kind of yeah. experience, isn't it? You are, yeah, yeah. you are doing sort of like online courses. No doubt, it's still by the faculty and the professional teachers in the school. But that's not what you paid for. Yeah, I mean, I honestly feel like going overseas to uh, for for studies is you pay for the of course the teachers and the the school and everything, but also you pay for the experience, right? The 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 contacts you make and the people around you. It's it's a it's an experience that it's honestly priceless, right? Mm, definitely, because you you kind of lose out on that because of COVID now. And definitely, we'll we'll get into the the topic of the time that you spend in New York a little bit later. So now. It's good to hear that everything seems to be working quite well for you and you've sort of integrated back into the scene relatively seamlessly. <laughs> and we'll talk a little bit about perhaps some of your upcoming projects. So um, I've heard from you that there are two main things that you are currently working on at the moment. Uh, one of it is, of course, going into composition. So uh, you have a new work that is going to be performed by the NAFA Percussion Ensemble. So since when did you start getting into composition? Was it something quite recent or you've always sort of done it? Um, it's not it's not really recent, but like, because, because it's percussion, right? So it's always good for percussionists to write their own music because all our music are like new, right? So we don't have like a, oh, maybe for you too, you're euphonium. Like we don't have mm. like a Bach, right? We don't have like a Beethoven <laughs> that wrote yeah. uh, concertos for us. So so uh, in general, all percussion solos and all uh, percussion, um, like whatever, trios, quartets, uh, ensemble stuff, they're all newly written, like right? They're all like modern in a way. Mm. So I yes. think one, one, one really important thing why I think a percussionist should also write their own music I mean, composers can't really understand how we move around instruments, how different instruments can be played, what's the strength of this particular guy. Because I think percussion mm. is a strange uh, major. So for example, uh, this guy, Tom, right? Tom can be yep. very strong in his mallets, but he's weak yep. in playing uh, a snare drum, for example. And then we go to Harry. Harry is really strong at um, his time, his feel, but he's very bad at reading notes, for example. So, uh, these are things that you have to take into consideration, I feel, when you are writing percussion, right? So I think yeah. it was a good start for me um, previously. I just wrote for a gig with some friends because I think, you know, I can create my own stuff. I'm I'm the leader of myself, you know, I don't have to listen to what people say. And of course, um, getting appropriate material for percussion is quite difficult actually because you have to always be on YouTube, you know, checking out the new stuff. Yeah, so mm. it's kind of tedious. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think uh, the point that you, you raise is really important for many musicians to think about. That is creating your own repertoire and performing pretty much at your own terms, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think that, yeah, I think that is a really important thing. And if you want to be hired to do performances, I mean... If you, I mean, sorry, I, I don't have a very good knowledge of standard percussion repertoire, mm. but if you bring like uh, a very commonly played marimba concerto mm. or vibraphone concerto, 
or whatnot, or timpani concerto, chances are they are existing recording by the top professionals in the world mm. that is readily available anytime. Then you are sort of competing, isn't it, with this some of the best percussionists in the world. Whereas if you have your own music, then now you have your own voice, you have your own language, and you have your own set of repertoire that is refreshing and adding sort of value to the entire percussion scene. Yeah, yeah. I think also one um, interesting thing about percussion, right? As I said, because we have so many, uh, we have a vast array of instruments. Mm. The thing is like many people always think that um, percussion instru- uh, percussion ensemble, we are playing like, for example, uh, maybe three marimbas together, right? A marimba trio or we're doing like a, a mallet quartet. So it's like maybe two vibraphones or you know, two marimbas. That's what many people think, right? Which, which I think it's it's not wrong, right? Because they are the only instruments with the notes. But there are mm. so many things that we can do. Like for example, one um, one guy will be with an arsenal of uh, maybe a few tin cans. The other guy will be with an arsenal of a few wood blocks and stuff like that. So many composers play around with stuff like that, like different configurations. So in the end, the final product, everyone is like, everyone has like a mini multi-percussion setup or you can call it a mini drum set. You know what I mean? So it's, it's mm. really cool. Like the amount of sounds and the amount of colors you can make uh, through different compositions. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's just incredible. I think all, all that you have said about composing and generating new music for yourself makes absolute perfect sense. And I think more people should consider going down this path of generating new repertoire. Could it be it could be writing it yourself if you're able to, or working with composers? Because after all, it's like having a bespoke service, isn't it? Yeah, I mean I mean I think I think I think you will really understand me, like because you play euphonium, right? So euphonium I think I guess it's a pretty modern instrument too. So yeah, yeah well I think I mean creating new works is really important, I think, for musicians or you can say artists because I think it gives us a more distinct identity. I mean, mm. instead of you just forever playing uh, Bach, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. no offense. I mean, I love Bach. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, you understand what I mean? You get my drift, right? Yeah, that, there's definitely nothing wrong with revisiting older repertoire. And I think most musicians build up from that kind of training or at least classical musician is yeah, that yeah, we, yeah. we visit the old repertoire first and then we sort of like grow from there. And there's nothing wrong with that. But is that who you are? That is the question, isn't it? Yeah. Is that what you want to be associated with uh, as a performer? Of course, if you are, you know, a, a top performer or have fantastic interpretation for, say, Bach or Mozart or whatever sort of uh, famous and big composers, that's fine. You find that niche and then you go for that. But like I said, it's extremely stiff competition, you know? Yeah, it's too tough. It's so tough. <laughs> exactly. I, I much rather play music that I really enjoy. And then, of course, you, you wrote something for yourself as well, which you were supposed to premiere in like March. But unfortunately, because of COVID, it got called off, isn't it? Oh, that's that was a really sad uh, affair because that was my first um, real work for myself. So because previously I wrote many, many like arrangements for like different instruments. Mm. There was This was the first time that I wrote like a a piece for myself and then with the with the help of Dingy Music Company so like I was going to play with them I was going to play with them in a concert and then mm. yeah COVID happened uh, I was pretty sad 
because it was supposed to be the world premiere and it was it was going very very good uh, in the rehearsals and the concert cancelled on the last day so the night before the concert we cancelled the concert yeah so it was pretty hard to take it was yeah yeah <laughs> I mean I, yeah, we kind of guessed it because COVID was mm. going to come at that point of time right so we kind of guessed it yeah so um, any kind of um, upcoming dates for that piece to be premiered or it's still sort of under discussion at the moment uh, currently no alright because that piece was titled Flushing Chinatown so yeah. Flushing is actually a, a a Chinatown so it's like a Chinatown in New York City Right, it was it's in Flushing. So this place, it's it's there. There are many many Asians, or I can say maybe ninety percent are like Chinese or eighty percent are Chinese, and mm. it was a very symbolic place for me because, um, it was really cheap. That place was really cheap because, a New York's cost of food is really high. So I always visit Flushing with my friends to you know eat hot pot, uh, steamboat. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, and because the prices are closer to what a Singaporean will expect. Right, mm. I wrote that piece with a, a Chinese New Year theme inside. So, I was asked to play that piece in an online live concert by Dingyi after the March concert. So, in I think April or May, we did like a concert with some uh, with a couple of uh, pop singers in Singapore. And then my conductor asked if you know I'm interested to play my original work as a soloist in the video, mm. which I'm I was really uh, thankful for for because I got the opportunity, but. It didn't felt right because, you know, I, I made a cheesy theme of a Chinese New Year's uh, piece inside that piece. So it's a recurring theme in that piece. So I felt, oh, you know, <laughs> I felt it's, it's, it was going to be weird. La, so A bit of a wrong kind of timing. La, yeah, yeah. Way. I mean, like, you know, you sell, you talking about COVID, you know, talking about be safe and blah, blah, blah. Then you suddenly go on Chinese New Year theme. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be weird. Okay. Yeah. I think we can look forward to that. Maybe 2021 when yeah. the new... <laughs> yeah, the good thing is there's always Chinese New Year every year, right? So... Yeah. I yeah, mean, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there will always be that bracket of time that would be suitable. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, and I mean the interesting part of that piece was I had a jazz quartet inside, so um, it was it was it, it talks about my life actually that piece um when I wrote it, um mm. yeah it, because in I was in New York for two years and then the first year wasn't that pleasant and then the second year was much better. Yeah. Yeah. So the piece like it follows and then there was like a. At the end, it was very jazzy and stuff. Yeah, so mm. it's a shame. Yeah, cool. So, I mean, definitely I'll be keeping a lookout for the piece. And when it's out, I'm sure everybody will know about it. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and then now let's talk about another thing or another project that you're uh, sort of involved in for the next couple of months, which I believe is a multi-part video that is based on Morse code and that's going to be tied together with some kind of storyline. So I think that itself, that description already is making me quite curious and piquing my interest. So uh, what is your role in this project? And yeah, what do you have to do? And what is going on behind the scenes at the moment right now? Right. So um, me and uh, four other boys, uh, my really good friends, Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all percussionists, actually. So we are creating a series of videos, uh, five videos actually, and the theme of the video is uh, the theme of the videos are Morse code, right? So if you're not sure what's Morse code, like whoever is listening, a Morse code is actually, you know, a series of rhythms. So every letter has a a rhythm, right? So we're using these rhythms as a motif for every movement that we are writing, 
And all these movements are actually um, related to COVID. So talks about the lives, the mindsets of musicians during COVID. And mm. yeah, we're in the process of writing the storyline and we're in the process of composing the music. So we will be composing the music ourselves and also we'll hire maybe one, one guy to write one movement for us. So it's okay. a pretty tough few months coming up because it's pretty tight. We have to complete this project by this year. So yeah, mm. it's pretty fun experience. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, even more new music. So I think that's absolutely fantastic. And so your role, so are you just in charge of your particular segment or are you in charge of uh, the other videos as well? Or do you have some work to do with the other videos? Basically, I was the one that um, found this group of people. Like uh, previously, it was supposed to be done with another group of people, but you know, uh, things happen. So we move on to another group. <laughs> okay. Uh, we move on to sure. another group. Yeah, yeah. We move right. on, I move on to another group of closer friends. And then, um, yeah, I'm like, kind of this is like kind of my first big project that I'm really um, so in charge of like normally I'm just a you know a musician or maybe I'm more of a how do I say it a cock in the machine like you would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah but this one I'm really yeah. part of like everything and I have to do up all the logistics and stuff which is um, not really my forte so yeah yeah so uh, yeah, yeah I have to write up like stuff like budgets you know uh, proposals mm. yeah to contact people and people here and there yeah yeah. And so you're steering the ship, lah, basically. Yeah, but I've hired like a director and stuff, lah, So I, you know, I don't, I can't be part. Of, I can't be like in charge of everything. And I'm, it, yeah. and I can't because, I think, I think we should just stick at what we do best, lah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. So, um, basically, you are in charge more of the the musical side, and then the director is uh for the shooting or for the story as well. Yeah, I mean, for the shooting and story, like because. You know when we are filming, so I I don't want to ex- I don't want to think like um we don't know how to film right because mm. if there's no person to like take charge, so for example I'm playing my my instruments there, so I can't be possibly be telling the videographer also oh you know you should take from this angle or you should take from that angle or you know yeah we yeah. have to we have someone like to plan the storyboard plan the mm. yeah. fair enough a professional to do all that kind of stuff that we are not very good at basically cool and uh, where can we uh, expect to find this video when it's being published? Um, I'll probably upload along with these four other people on Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's mandatory to be on Facebook. Like, not everything must be on Facebook. So, <laughs> And of course on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, pretty kind of uh, easy to find, like, I would say, once the, yeah, yeah. the product is being published. Right. Cool. So yeah, we'll definitely, once again, keep an eye out on that and I'll help you share whatever could be uh, the Flushing Chinatown, could be this upcoming project. I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not reaching out to like a lot of people, but I try. <laughs> no, don't say that. I think it's great. I think you're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to that. So now we get into the main uh, part of the interview. So let's start with uh, when we first meet. So uh, I think this is without a doubt we met in Nafa. I was in uh, my final year of my diploma and then you came in as a first year. Yeah. Right? For the both of us, there were, there were two things that um, got us a little bit closer. Number one is that we lived really close to each other mm-hmm. or we used to anyway. Mm. So we'll usually be sharing the commute back home and of course, that created time for some kind of conversation 
And that conversation usually mostly revolved around probably football, which is also something that we are extremely interested in. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although although we have like very different, uh, I think, allegiance when it comes to our football team. That created even more kind of room for conversation. So, of course, I know that um, you are now just a football fan with no particular team that you support. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've always been watching a lot of football, reading a lot of football news. But you know, I don't yeah. really follow one particular team because I, I like to see like you know, I like to see Man U versus Man City. I like to see a Chelsea versus Arsenal. You know, I think to me it's mm-hmm. equal, uh, Yeah. So I don't have like a particular allegiance. Yeah. Well, then you're just hated by everyone. <laughs> no, man. I'm neutral. I'm loved by everyone. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, that, so that, that was my recollection of the time that we met for the first time. Does Is anything different for you? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, what strikes um, uh, you as a, as a musician and a person is, um, of course, we stay really far from school, which I absolutely hate because the journey back <laughs> was like what, almost one hour every time, every day, yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think what struck me the most was you were very passionate about your instrument and you were passionate about music the same way I was. So I think we could find a lot of common ground. Like even when we came back from Singapore from our our studies, like you were in England and I was in mm-hmm. US, right? So uh, we found a lot of common, common ground on new music, which not many people will agree on, right? Because many people are very like traditional. Yeah, yeah definitely. Which, yeah, 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 which I really appreciate that. Like, you know, um, at least there's someone, some human being out here in Singapore that you know is as weird as me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not, yeah, yeah, not, not, not. It's it's hard. It's hard to make people um accept new stuff. I feel you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think as uh, performers or as like artists and musicians, we always have this dilemma in us. That is, should we perform something that we are really passionate about and something that we like that has a strong message or do we perform something that the audience like? Oh yeah, like absolutely like what you just said right? is, uh, I mean, it's, it's really true because in Singapore we are so small and you know, we're always trying to apply for this fund, applying for that grant, you know, and you always have to put in like a, yeah, you have to, you have to think, you know, if you keep playing everything from, for example, um, you know, Steve Reich, or John Cage, mm. compared to you are playing pieces from a Singapore composers, you will definitely not get the grant. <laughs> if you know yeah. what I'm trying to say, like mm. yeah, if you want to play something really artistic, maybe you will not get support from maybe your 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 donors. But if you play like maybe Piazzolla or uh, you know, I'm not I'm not saying like Piazzolla is bad or like I'm not saying like you know, mm. yeah, you get my drift. So yeah, yeah. like and sometimes I think uh, I would say um, Piazzolla at times is not watered down enough. I think that there's this um, idea of needing to water down the, the content that we put out to the audience just because we are afraid that the music don't connect with them or we are afraid that they won't understand. Yeah, I mean like, you know, as as I was saying, I'm in the process of writing and curating the, the works, right, for the Morse Code project. So we are like, mm. you know, we are kind of like, we're confused. Like we, we don't know whether we should write something really new, something really abstract, or maybe we should mm. write something simpler so that the audience can connect to. 
And even for the storyline, you know, we want to think, we want, we want to put in something like really deep for the audience to read, like, like read between the lines, you know. Mm. But yeah. there's some of them, like the other people will say, oh, you know, we, we don't want the audience to think so much. You know, nowadays people, they want to think, you know, they just want, they just want to see something cool. Mm. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's tough to find the balance. I've sort of come up with this idea and, and you can call it a little bit kind of self-serving and selfish is that the most important thing is that we have to put up a product that we believe in. Yeah. Not a product that the audience might believe in. Well, I mean, yeah, that's great. That's great. That's, I think that's a great statement. <laughs> yeah. I think as long as we have a very clear vision of what we want to achieve, and that could be like, for example, you said, I want to really challenge the audience or I don't want to challenge the audience. As long as the, the vision is clear that this is the right direction that you want to go and you are absolutely sure about it, I think that's fine. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's, it's just what you want, you know, as an artist, what you really want and what you want the audience to get from you, right? Yeah, exactly. Cool. So now let's uh, go to your career, right? Let's talk a little bit more about you. And like you said in the beginning of the interview that you've played multiple instruments and I think some of the instruments that you played, you went on to uh, perform at a very, very high level. So uh, why don't you share a little bit with us sort of your career trajectory and developments? So basically, I started piano because, you know, honestly, I don't know why I started piano, but apparently it's because like I walked past a group of kids learning piano in a CC. And um, I just told my mom, you know, I want to be, I want to be part of that group because the piano sounds so cool and and stuff like that. You know, when you're a kid, yeah. So mm. I learned the piano because I'm I'm thankful that my uh, parents were so willing to send me to a music lesson. Maybe because I was just moving too much at home, I was just noisy as hell <laughs> as a kid, as okay. a fat kid. I was yeah. like really fat. <laughs> and then um, yeah, you're eating all the food. You were noisy, so they just had to get you out of the house. Yeah, right? man. So they just sent me to. <laughs> To play the piano, you know, and yeah, the piano yeah. just shut me up. <laughs> yeah, and and this was electronic pianos. No, 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 like real piano. Uh, I mean, yeah, when you see the kids, they were playing keyboards, lah. But but okay. I went to learn a real piano, like a yeah piano. Oh, so you didn't sign up for that CC course? You went to learn piano privately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned, I went to learn piano like privately. Okay, sure. Yeah, and then um, I was in primary school, and then. Yeah, just when there was a, there's, my primary school is actually quite new. It was formed in 1999, I think, if I cannot, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, it's 1999, uh, Evergreen Primary in Woodlands. Mm -hmm. And I was primary two or something in 2001 or 2002, probably then. So the school only started like two years. So there was this new CCA starting up and all the music teachers were like hyping everyone. Like, oh, you know, this new CCA is going to be so cool, which happens to be Chinese orchestra. So... Uh, yeah, I joined the Chinese orchestra and I was really, really lucky that the set of instructors that came to this school was really impressive, really, really strong people, uh, strong musicians. Mm -hmm. They are really good in their own way and, and they're really strong educators. So I was really lucky. Uh, so I was chosen, you know, by random. One, so I I played Yang Tsing when I was in primary school. Mm. Yeah. So played for maybe one or two years and, you know, the typical teacher saying, oh, you know, you have, you're talented. Why don't you go and have a private lesson with me? I mean, mm. at that point of time when you're a kid, when you hear that, you'll be like, oh, you'll be so inspired, right? You'll be like, oh, 
I'm good, you know, you want to do something special. So I told my parents and my parents were like, oh, it, it's good because my my young teacher was teaching at NAFA, um, School of Young Talents. So I why see. not? Why not? Why not go there? So I, I went over there and yeah, I started practicing a lot because my mom was typical Asian, you know, if I don't practice like for how many hours a day, it's not going to yeah. be a good day for me. <laughs> so mm. yeah, I really practiced a lot when I was a kid. I, okay. Like every day, and I like yeah. didn't really have a life other than my okay. weekends where I played my Game Boy and watched my Pokemon. But yeah, so yeah. I practiced, and then I just and, and of course, of course, eating as well. Let's not forget. Oh that. yeah, the, the, yeah, the yeah, snacking yeah. And, and stuff. Yeah, well, no, yeah. when I reached secondary school, the real snacking happened. Yeah, yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay. yeah, I mean, I started playing, 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 and then like, how did I go to percussion? Okay, this is a really, really funny thing. So I was in. Um, Chinese orchestra too in secondary school right so I was mm. in Catholic high and then it just happened that maybe that batch of students for that year's SYF wasn't that good okay so okay. I play Yang Ting and then for Yang Ting the, you use your wrists you use your hands to uh, like to hold the sticks like if people that doesn't know what's a Yang Ting right it's like a it's like a Chinese uh, chimbalom it's like a like Taosima yeah so Mm. Um and I learned piano also right so the conductor was my teacher like my 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 major teacher it just happened oh, it just okay. happened yeah 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 I see yeah and right. then uh, he's he's a great musician and um so he was like so fed up with the percussion section right he was like you know what Derek for this as well just go and play percussion because you can play the melody so fast like I can read it fast because I play piano right it's not because I'm mm. good like because I play piano and then my the technique yeah. is kind of similar so I was like oh you know what sure so I'm gonna play percussion in that SYF. And then I was like, mm. oh, you know what? Actually, percussion is really fun because, okay, so because the Yang Qing in the Chinese orchestra is really soft. Um, it's like, honestly, it's like, you can't hear it. If you're in an audience, right? <laughs> you can't hear it unless I have like a little solo that sticks out. But in general, okay. you can't hear it. It's, it's yeah, right. it's really muddy. It's kind of like, how do I say it? It's kind of like, I can't really compare it to some any instrument in the... Western orchestra, but yeah, yeah but it just doesn't project as well, lah. Yeah, as a, it, it, it blends in color. too well. You know, it's too mm. like, yeah, it's too blended in. So yeah. I was like, oh, you know, in percussion, I have my own individual voice. You know, I'm reading my own part. I don't have to share anything mm. with anyone. You know, I'm myself. So I felt like it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I didn't really progress on that because I was still in my, I was still trying to be like, you know, in my mind, I wanted to be a young thing, a superstar. You know. So yeah. After that, I went to JC. Um and it didn't turn out well because I just I was just like having fun every day. Like I was just, you know, when you're 17, you're just going crazy. And then yeah. after maybe four or five months, yeah, four or five months, I made a move to Nafa, like, which I met you. And I was yes. majoring in Yangqing. Mm-hmm. But at that point of time, it, it's kind of like a turning point because uh, I was scouted by by Tingyi to join them. At that yeah. point of time, everyone was like, everyone in the ensemble, they were like award-winning musicians. They were all really great. They were like mm. maybe at the age of 27-ish, 30-ish. And I was 17, yeah. right? So I was like the young bird. I was like the new little boy that they went in to play with the experienced people. But mm. they they drafted me in um, not to play Yang Ting. They drafted me in because they thought that I had potential. Because the Yang Ting spot was already taken by some other person, right? So I couldn't play Yang mm. Ting. The manager, one of the managers said, uh, you know what, Derek, uh, why don't you try playing percussion first? You know, maybe basically I was a sub la, at first. I was like a sub. Okay. Right. So I slowly played percussion and it just happened that the main percussion guy went to Beijing 
um, China, the Central Conservatory of Music to further his studies. So I was like, I was like getting many, many opportunities and chances to play percussion with a strong ensemble mm. and to train my, you know, um, reading, my reaction and stuff like that. So it was really a blessing in disguise. And after that, my second year in NAFA, I was like, I took a minor study. Maybe I was the, probably the first person or first few people to, to do that in NAFA. You know, I had two majors. So I had to play Yang Ting. Mm. And other, okay. than, other than that, I had to go for percussion lessons as well. And I was part of the percussion ensemble. Yeah. Mm. So um, slowly, slowly, I just felt that I wanted to make a change because I just felt like playing percussion in the orchestra was much more interesting. Um, I still love the Yang Ting. You know, I think it sounds great. But... I felt like um, playing percussion had more, I I had, I can have the chance to make more uh, different voices, you know, different sounds. Mm. And Wider voices. possibilities. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. I mean like, performance. Yeah, and I felt like the Yang Ting market was too saturated, too, it's kind of boring actually. <laughs> it's like just one instrument, mm. you just play, yeah, but yeah, percussion for me was very, very interesting because there are so many things that you can learn, so many things that you can play. So yeah, I made the change after my army when I went for my bachelor's degree. Yeah. So, um, during the time of national service, what were you doing? Were you doing anything music related? Oh. Or? In my national service, I was really fortunate to be uh, in the music and drama company. So, oh, here, you know, my life is quite weird. So, I was in the music and drama company and people would be like, oh, you know you what? You play percussion in there? Or, oh, you play Yang Ting there? Wrong. I was the keyboardist for the string quartet. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, okay so, yeah uh, I wanted to go to SF band you know but my pass was not high enough so basically my pass was really low because uh, I had like a hip injury due to playing football in secondary school I see yeah but I was lucky yeah. enough to be uh, drafted into the music and drama company yeah. yeah, I mean, speak, speaking my language, you know, when you talk about low pass status, I think we, we have, we share the same. Oh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pass status. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because of sports. Yeah. Uh, for, for me, not so much, but yeah, sure, whatever. Oh, I thought I mean, your, I thought your yeah. injury was because of basketball or something. May, maybe, or carrying the euphonium, or just general bad <laughs> posture, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, could, could, uh, that, yeah, multiple things, right? Yeah. Uh, Cool. So, I mean, this really shows, right, having this sort of um, diverse musical background can put you into a very unique uh, positions in in your life, definitely. Yeah, I mean, Because I, I'm sure when, when you uh, were thinking about NS, you never thought that you end up playing a keyboard for the next two years, yeah. considering that, yeah, you've been training uh, as a, a young team player, as well as a percussionist yeah yeah I mean yeah I think I think always like musicians now like young people that want to start music should always know that um, you have to be ready at any time you know the chance come the, 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 the opportunity comes you have to take it with both hands and uh, mm. I was I was quite lucky like you know you have to be lucky also like for me I got the chance to play with thingy and then it gave me many connections um, it let me know many people so it was mm. it was yeah you have to take your chance yeah, but I think, you know, this, everything feeds off each other. Like, I agree, absolutely agree with you that we have to be prepared when the opportunity comes. Sometimes, at the stage where we are the most prepared, there are no opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah, it's, it's always down to luck, like, honestly, like what I said. It's about timing. Yeah, la. but... Yeah. 
Correct. And But then that luck is then created because you were prepared. Right? So there could be a lot of opportunities, but you're not prepared for it. But of course, you still maybe sign up for the auditions or you still went for the competition. But if you're not like at that level or prepared for that particular audition, then you wouldn't get the job as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's all kind of like interlinked with each other. Yeah, yeah. It's a series. It? La. It's a series yeah. of luck plus yeah. your own work, you know. Yeah. And when everything aligns together, then good things happen, basically. Now, post-national service, what's that like for you? Um, It was pretty cool. Like, I went back to NAFA. I, I was supposed to go to the States, like the US straight away, but I didn't get a scholarship. I didn't get a good enough scholarship and I really couldn't afford it because it was four years over there. Why I didn't want to go back to NAFA at first is because uh, I wanted to change my major to percussion, right? And then I yes. felt like two years was too short for me. Like, it's not because I don't like the school or the teacher or what, but... Ah, okay. I felt so like, you yeah, want to prolong I, your yeah, studies I wanted like, more time to... on my, my new instrument, right? Because I just changed it, so... Yeah. Yeah, so I went to mm. NAFA and I'm... I was glad that... um. I was glad that my teacher was a fantastic musician and more importantly, a fantastic person. And he gave me mm. many opportunities. And then, um, yeah, after that, I went for my master's in New York. And yeah. And now you're back here, living the dream, as they say. Yeah, enjoying COVID. <laughs> yeah. So, um, obviously, this is kind of very interesting trajectory because you, you obviously, you also left out the fact that uh, you mentioned that a lot of the musicians at Ting Yi, at the point when you joined them as a percussionist or as a member, are award-winning musicians and instrumentalists. And you yourself is also an award-winning instrumentalist on the Yang Ting. Was it difficult for you to convince yourself to change from Yang Ting to percussion? It was pretty difficult because I had I had talks with many people, you know, including Kwek Ling Kiong. He's the resident conductor of um, Singapore Chinese Orchestra and he's also the principal conductor in Ding Yi. I mm. had talked with uh, Miss, Mr. Jedrick Wong. He's the general manager at Den and now he's the assistant mm-hmm. conductor in Ding Yi. Uh, I've talked with many people. La, so um, one thing is because they felt that there are not too many people playing Yang Qing in Singapore. So I was like, a, how do I say it? You know, if I say it too like nicely, I was like the only like person that was I was basically I was playing every gig, you know. I was playing every yeah. Yang Ting gig. I was taking every. Yeah, there was a market there for you, lah. Yeah, basically. so basically I was like a king in the Yang Ting. Not because I was good, but I was like maybe the only few, right? And I was the mm. young one, you know. So I was mm. like getting every gig, and there were many composers that already wrote stuff, and I was lucky to be commissioned with. So I was like, you know, should I change my feel? You know, should I, should I take the chance or to take the plunge? But mm. I felt that I had to give myself a challenge because yeah, as I was as I was saying, I was getting bored <laughs> of that instrument. Yeah, but it, it was yeah. difficult, uh, It was difficult. I took a long time. And now there are many swaps, right? I think along the way, even though it's just generally two instruments, uh, but there's many stages to yeah. this change. So let's talk about the first stage whereby you swap the Yang Ting for percussion. Right. How difficult was it? All right. Um at first when I just changed, I didn't think it was difficult. I thought, well, you know what? Oh, actually, percussion is so easy. You know, just hitting stuff, right? Like, yeah, just it. hitting stuff. It's so easy. You know, <laughs> and then like when I side read on the mallets, like, oh my god, it's so easy. Just one line. For piano, you know, you have like so many uh, different <laughs> the texture. 
different lines, all the counterpoints. Yeah. For Malice, it's like, what? So easy, everything's so easy. And then, and then when I got more serious into it, um, I started learning the snare drum, which I absolutely cannot play at first. Right. And I didn't know about like, all the orchestra preparation and stuff like that. Mm. Once I got down to like practicing excerpts, once I got down to how Western orchestra people train, oh, yeah, then now I, then I know how bad I was. I was like realizing how bad I was and I was practicing the, the, the hell, the crap out of myself every day. Every night I was like in the Nafa studio till 11.30 and then the Indian guard would come and chase me out. Ah, of yeah. course. Because I was, yeah. I'm actually a very, um, I think many people know, but I'm actually very competitive. So <laughs> I cannot be like, mm. I cannot be like bad. You know, I want to be like, I want to be like at the top. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, fair yeah. enough. So yeah. And do you do you feel like going from Yangqing into Western percussion and uh, was sort of like going into the deep end of the pool? Would you have preferred, say, Yangqing maybe then to uh, Chinese percussion and then into Western percussion? Or were you already doing that? I think, yeah, yeah. I think in general, like, I don't, for me, I don't, I don't categorize um, Chinese percussion or Western percussion. Of course, you learn different stuff. Um, of course, mm. a kid, when you're in Chinese orchestra in the CCA or when you're in a band, you learn different stuff. But in general, I think it's the same because most percussionists in Singapore, I feel we are very strong because we are very multicultural, right? So yeah, we can play many instruments from different parts of the world because just because of we are, because we're in Singapore. So mm. I think um, when I was playing in a Chinese orchestra, I had I had um, contact with many. Chinese percussive instruments but when in a western orchestra nowadays many composers they like to put like Chinese instruments in like the xiao luo it's like a gong because the yeah. sound it produces it's really it's really interesting yeah. yeah so I think it's it's you have to be good at both you know in this market you have to be good at both like it's like I can go, I can start with SSO and I also have the chance to start with SEO but if mm. you are just very western you know you can't play with SEO it's not because you're not good but you know, you don't give yourself the opportunity to expose yourself to Chinese music, right? Which I think is a really, really big market in Singapore. Yeah, and it's it's a lot of... I always feel like with uh, Chinese music, a lot of it is kind of like, in, in Western terms, uh, performance practice, isn't it? The style of the music and the spirit of the music, which if you are not um, well-versed in that language, then it becomes extremely difficult for you to execute that kind of perhaps style or sound that you're looking for. Is that true? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, to put it in context, like, so for Chinese music, most Chinese music are written, like, they are like contemporary stuff. So, for Tingyi, for example, I'll just take Tingyi as an example. Um, maybe we have one or two concerts that are very traditional. So, to put it in a mm. Western context, those concerts would be like Baroque concerts, right? So, if a certain melody that you play or a certain way that you play is not really that traditional way, it's wrong. It is you have to be really familiar with the music and you have to know like you have to know but it's just like western music honestly there's no difference you have to be familiar mm. yeah but um in general the rest of the concerts we are more contemporary like in the sense that we are playing more like newer music from newer composers so mm. yeah you don't have to take that like strict stuff into account yeah okay yeah and now because you've been performing with both uh, groups from both uh, Chinese and the, the Western music scene here. Uh, do you see a difference in 
uh, rehearsal preparation and performance from the music groups from these uh, two genres? Yeah, I mean, um, there are a lot of differences. Um, there are a lot of cultural differences, I feel. Uh, in terms of, okay, let me just talk about preparation. I feel preparation is the most different. Like, I think Western musicians, they really care about chops, right? They practice their intonation. They care about their skills. But for Chinese musicians, mm. they don't really care about the chops, right? They, they, they do, they do, but they don't, they're not as like meticulous as the Western people. They just practice skills and stuff. But for Chinese people, they really, really, really care about their solos. You know, to Chinese musicians, solos are like bread and butter. So, and they're all really good. Mm. Their shape of, their shaping of the melody is really strong. Yeah. Because most instructors, I would say they're from China. They, they are really, really good at what they do. But mm. in terms of ensemble shape, maybe some Chinese musicians won't be as strong as those Western counterparts, right? Because they just play solo. So when they go to an ensemble, they are maybe more lost. You know, they can't count. They, they, they don't know how to come in. When they have like a six-bar rest, they get lost. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. I mean, but both are great in their own way, right? Yeah. So when I listen and watch a Chinese music performance, I think the expression of the musicians or the soloists is always kind of larger than life. Like incredibly engaging. Yeah, I think it, it yeah, is well. brought up in us. La. Like it's a form of, mm. it's part of it. Like you have to do it to be right to, to the instructors. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when you're a kid, yeah. you, you have been trained to do that. So when you grow up, you just know, mm. you know, naturally you just do that. Yeah. There, there's this sort of like, um, there's a real element of performance. La. I think there's this kind of um, visual engagement as well as oral engagement. Yeah, yeah. And now, after returning back from uh, New York, obviously you've been doing a little bit of teaching. And do you think, uh, have you been teaching both percussion sections in Chinese orchestra as well as bands in school? Yeah, I have been. And I have, yeah, it's like up to now, yeah. Yeah, do, do you feel like you have to teach differently and explain things differently to the students? I don't teach differently because I'm a firm believer that a student should learn, like they should really know their chops before they start playing pieces because I feel in Singapore, what's the problem with the music scene is in primary school or secondary school, many kids, they don't learn their chops well. They don't learn their basics well. They just go straight to the piece because of SYF, which I really understand, you know, because not every mm. student is that interested or not every student has the conservatory mindset, you know, to be perfect in the craft. Yeah, but I feel it is really important to know what you're reading, you know. At least you know what you're playing. Some people, they don't even know what they're playing. They just play because, or they memorize the piece because it's their SYF piece. Mm. So I don't yes. teach. They've done it so many times yeah. now, right? That they just memorize. It's very frustrating, yes. you know. It's very frustrating. Mm. Um, For me, I take a lot of pride in practicing. So I always tell my students, you know, um, you have to learn properly so that in the future, you understand what you're doing. So I don't teach differently, but... Yeah, approaches might be different. The approach might be different because for different schools, you know, they have different targets to hit. So it might be a little different in some ways. Like for some, I might just go for uh, really chops. I, I, some schools, they don't really care about SYF, but they really want their students to do well. But for some schools, they mm. really care about the end product. They care about, oh, you know, I'm playing this and this for this concert. So we just work on that. Yeah. So, and okay. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of how the students approach learning music, is it 
very different as well for these two groups? I think it's the same. You know, how students approach learning music, I think it's the same. It's just mm. maybe, yeah, I think it's, it, it, you can't differentiate like students from um, band and Chinese orchestra. I think they're the same. I think nowadays students are just mm. getting lazy. <laughs> yeah, they don't really care yeah, as I mean, much. La. I mean, yeah. because of the, the, the changes in system in MOE, right? You, you think about it, like in our generation, there was like, I'm not sure about you, but like for the Chinese orchestras, SYF, we have like this top five system. Does the band have mm. it? Like we have this? Yes, oh, yes. Yeah, we have this top yes. five system. And then after that, it got demolished, right? And then the goal of honors system, which, which was still very exciting, right? Because every school was fighting to be the mm. goal of honors. And then, yeah, like in my generation, when I was a kid in secondary school, the CEO music scene was so strong. Like there were like so many people that really went for private lessons and stuff. They all really wanted to do so well. It was so strong. Mm. But then like, you know, yeah. slowly, slowly changed to the, what is it called? The distinction and stuff, accomplishment. Yes. Yeah. I think that really affected the way how instructors teach and how the musicians approach practice. Right? Mm, yeah. Definitely. I think, you know, not saying whichever is better off or whichever is worst, but let's not talk about the, the top top five because that, that happened when I was in primary school. So I think what was kind of more relevant to us was this sort of like the distinction between the gold and the gold with honors. Yeah. Because that really separates that really big bracket yeah. of, uh, I think it was above 75, then there's a bracket that is above 90. So the goal with honors obviously is like above 90. So you know that you were of probably the top 10 or 15 or whatever number of goal with honors, which is not a lot, I believe, Yeah, I- uh, for all the different... Uh, arts group for band like how many go with honors did you get like for a year not not many I would say mostly less than 10 oh yeah yeah so it's the same for a CEO like maybe honestly like maybe 5 or 6 only so to get yeah. it when you were a kid like in secondary school I felt it was a really good motivation you know it's like a strong push yeah yeah, yeah definitely and this is sort of like the, the common goal that everyone was working towards right the, the top echelon of the entire countries Chinese orchestra or wind band yeah. or whatever yeah, it is yeah, yeah. yeah and now now that it's gone uh, they've taken that away of course this entire bracket is merged into one so it's just above a certain percentage and you are distinction yeah which is kind of so <laughs> boring yeah so so I mean that that's the thing right when you ask a student if you get 75 you get an A if you get 99 you also get the A. So what is the aim? Is the aim to get 100 points or is the aim to get 75? And I think it could be fortunately or unfortunately, I think students nowadays, they are a lot more uh, economical with their efforts. So they really understand what is needed of them to get to what they want. And they would not put in an extra gear. I think back when we were in school, we were we were not that economical with our efforts. We were like, we want to do it. We just sort of like went for it and didn't think too much. Yeah, I mean... And we just wanted to achieve what, what we wanted to achieve, right? Yeah, that's that's really true. Um, That 75 and 90, 99 thing, it's, it's really true. It's like you put in so much effort to get 99. But if you put in like half the effort, you can, if you can get 75, then what's the point, right? Like if you're a student. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 
and then you know a person like you say but person A spent uh, two hours for revision person B spent 20 hours for revision both ended up with an A <laughs> so yeah <laughs> you know which one would you rather be yeah, I, I mean, know my, it, my choice is quite clear it's even right? sad like you know I think it's sad and funny at the same time like we were talking about this it, it's yeah, I mean, I, I do. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah it's, it's, I mean, it's just how the Singapore system works, lah. So we, I think we have to accept it. Exactly. Yeah, we have to accept and, it. And, and once again, it. yeah, and, and like like I said, not that. Um, I I think this is by no means saying that is good or is bad, but I think we are just kind of stating what we've observed over the years as um, uh, teachers and uh, uh, sectional instructors in schools. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, as usual, with most of these interviews, time absolutely flew by, right? So now, one more question for you, and this is going to be quite a broad topic, I think, which is the time you, you lived in New York. So I think over the last couple of years, perhaps there has been a slight increase with the number of uh, music graduates from uh, Singapore that returned from New York, but I still think that it's not as many as like the UK or in Europe. I think primarily because number one is the cost of studying over there. So uh, could you sh- just share with us um, your time that you spent in New York and what kind of uh, music and arts event that were available to you mm. at that time? Mm. And is New York as uh, vibrant for music and arts as people made it out to be mm. for me I think um, New York is a city like if you go there and stay there you either love it or you either hate it okay um, it's mm. it's it's fantastic for arts I feel um, for for music it's there's, there's no words to describe it right so basically in Lincoln Center which is like our esplanade right so for for New York you have the Met Opera and then you walk a few mm-hmm. steps, you go to the ballet, you walk a few steps, you go to the New York Philharmonic and you walk a few steps, you yeah. get to Juilliard, the school. So, mm-hmm. in in that circle, in that place, only you can go watch three concerts and they have they have like concerts on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays. It's not like um, the orchestras in Singapore where we only have one concert or maybe two concerts mm. per week or per every two weeks. For them, it's every week. Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, bam, they have one concert. For the Met Opera, they're playing almost every day. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, they might be playing Opera A. Thursday, Friday, they might be playing Opera B. Saturdays, Sunday, mm. they're playing another opera. It's crazy. So, um, and then, we, uh, we have talked about Broadway. For me, Broadway was just <laughs> yeah, eye-opening. It's, it's just crazy. The amount of talent um, New York has is crazy because for many musicians um, in America, going to New York is like the pinnacle. Like, so the, the musicians playing in New York, they are the cream of the crop. So, yeah, it, 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 it's fantastic. Like, in every day, right? Every day, every night, you have shows. You have like, I don't know what, 20, 30, 40, 40 shows, maybe at least 40 Broadway shows. Wow. Yeah, every night. You think about it. What, maybe if there's one Broadway show in Singapore, it's going to happen for a few months and that's it. And then maybe in the next two years, you have one more Phantom of the Opera. Two years later, you have uh, yeah. a, a Let Me Zerup. For New York, mm. every day, this is happening, 30 shows. And then, so you, you think about the musicians there. And so, um, mm. so just let me give you an example. So 
I had a senior when I was in my first year in masters, my second year senior, he's, he's an American and he was so happy yeah. that he got uh, the sub, he, he got onto the sub list for uh, Chicago. It's a, it's a top notch musical. And then yeah. he was like, yo, no, guys, let's go for drinks on me. Um, uh, I got on the sub list. I'm so happy. And we were like, oh, great. You know, congratulations. We went for the drinks and mm. he was number seventh on the sub list. He got, the, the, the sub-list audition was for the number seventh place. So can you imagine the competition and can you imagine how many strong musicians are there in New York? Mm. For me, yeah. when I went to New York, I think it was a really big eye-opener. I realized how good people are actually in the world. I realized how mm. crap I was actually. And I realized how, mm. like you have to realize that there are so many strong musicians in the world. Like, you know, if you are number one in Singapore, it doesn't mean that when you go to New York or like, Let's not put New York. Like when you go out to the world, maybe you are like the number 1,000, right? Because Singapore yeah. is so small and yes. I think it's a, it's a, it's very easy and very common for people to think that they're really good because the, yeah, mm. because we're just so small. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so in New York, I think one good thing is it's so vibrant, right? Everything, every day, you have so many things you can do. Oh, uh, and then let's not talk about jazz bars. The amount of jazz bars they have there and the standard is crazy. Like in Brooklyn, you have already mm. every every neighborhood, every street, it's full of jazz bars. It's yeah. it's, it's kind of like a London, but I think it's a messy London. Right? You have been you have been mm. to London there, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. London yes. also like London is like full of arts, full of orchestras, full of uh, musicals. Yeah, it's kind of like a messy London. Like, yeah, but it almost feels like it's like London, but perhaps, um. Because you, you are talking about some of the, like the Met Opera, for example, mm. right? Probably the top uh, opera company in the world, mm. putting up like expensive and high quality productions on a on such a regular basis. Mm. You're talking about Winter Masalis and uh, his jazz orchestra at Lincoln Center, which is probably one of the best jazz orchestras in the world. You're talking about New York Philharmonic, one of the best. So, so many... Um, uh, when when you talk about New York, there's just so many uh, world class activities that's happening. Yeah, and like you said, it's it's happening so regularly as well. Yeah. So I just can't imagine, you know, yeah, living there and yeah, you'll be exposed to yeah. so many things. I mean, you have to take your chances. I mean, when you talk about it here in Singapore, you'll be like, oh, you know, wow, so many concerts. But when you're there, you won't be going every concert because you'll be like, ah, oh, man, mm. so boring, you know. Ah, uh, New York, yeah. again. Yeah, blah. To to you, when you're in mm. New York, you'll feel like, oh, it's a it's a chore to go to a concert. Oh, I forgot to add also. Um, the most special thing about New York as a classical musician, as a budding orchestral musician, is the Carnegie Hall. When you're in Car- mm. Carnegie Hall, is like every week there's concerts too, every um weekend, Friday yeah. and Thursdays too, and every week mm. there's a superstar coming. Every week. Yeah. And yeah, every, solo recitals and stuff. Right? Yeah, and every month the every month the big a uh, big orchestras will be here in Carnegie Hall. Like a Boston Symphony will be here. Maybe two months later mm. the Cleveland Orchestra will be here. Uh, maybe three months later the, the LA Field or like the San Francisco will be here. Or like um the Vienna the Vienna Vienna Field was in New York like three times when I was there. Three times, you know. When you're in Singapore, they come mm. every ten years. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, and then there was like yeah. Berlin Field came there was Marinsky Theatre that comes all the time I don't know why um, yeah they're like Germany orchestra. diplomatic reasons maybe yeah I mean it was an eye, eye opener and 
I think it's just a blessing for any musician that wants to study. You know, you get to hear all these top orchestras, you get to hear all these mm. top artists and soloists. You know, it's just it's just so good. Cool, and I I think that sounds really really uh, fantastic. But like like you said, I do understand that when you you are there, living it, then um, this then becomes the new normal, isn't it? Yeah. Then when it's normal, it, you just yeah maybe you won't be out there attending all the concerts. Yeah. That, that is available. And it's also not realistic to do that, I think. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, we, I mean, the tickets to like New York Phil, they were like maybe 30-something USD. So probably like 40-ish mm. SGD. But for yeah. Carnegie, um, there was a really special thing. Like if you're a student in New York, whatever you do, you're a student, you get student prices, but you have to queue mm. because the every concert is, is full house. It's, yeah. it's not an understatement. Like, Every concert that I've went to, it's full house. Uh, for New York Phil, for the Carnegie Hall series, every concert is full house. Like, I think people over there take their art seriously. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, you also mentioned earlier in uh, when we were speaking that your first year wasn't as enjoyable as your second year. Was it mostly down to like the quite a harsh reality check that you experienced or was it kind of like homesickness what made it kind of less enjoyable um i think it's a it's a series of both um when i first moved there i was alone right i rented a room and if you if you don't know um living in new york is really expensive so i stayed pretty pretty far from my uh school so hmm. Um, it took a long time to go to school. Like I take like um, 45 minutes or 50 minutes to reach school. Yeah, pretty much like uh, Nafa days. Yeah? Oh yeah. But you know, you had to take the <laughs> yeah. subway in New York, which was really tragic. Like the subway in New York, people are crazy. And when I say crazy, it's really crazy, right? There are just people peeing in the, in the train in front of you and, and everybody will be like, this is normal. Like for me, it was a cultural shock. And then... Right. um. In school, I was I was very depressed. Okay, not very, but I was depressed because I wasn't that bad, but I wasn't a, the best. And I felt that it was mm. so hard because I was trying for auditions and auditions like bam, bam, bam. In my mind, I had to win um, auditions for music festivals, you know, to in, in, improve my CV, to upgrade my bio, you know. I want to make yeah. my name, you know. So I was just practicing every day. Like, so... My life in New York for the first year was just, you know, playing computer games at night. I'll wake up yeah. in the morning, I go for my class. And then in mm-hmm. the afternoon, um, so my classmates and my schoolmates, they always, they always practice in the morning. But for me, I'm not a morning person. So I would practice after dinner from like six plus-ish to seven. I'll practice all the way to 2, 2.30 a.m. Almost every day. And then, okay. yeah, uh, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, but I was like so desperate to win uh, a job or like win something in auditions, which mm. ultimately I think that was the problem why I didn't win anything because I was, my mental state was so bad. I was yeah. just thinking about winning things. I was just thinking, oh, you know, I have to be this good. I have to be that good. But, you know, in general, you're just hurting your mental health. Mm. Yeah. So in the second year, I, I, I kind of got grips that you know, I can't be like this crazy. I have to have a proper life. <laughs> so yeah, fair enough. I practiced more regularly in terms like I practiced maybe two hours in the morning and I went home to cook and I come back to school to practice two hours. Mm. Yeah. And then I nice. slept more. 
I felt better. I I was more used to the city. Uh, I met mm. met up with friends more often. Yeah, yeah. So I in the second year, I really enjoyed myself. Mm. Yeah, I think it it always takes a little bit of time to to warm up to a new place, and I think with studying music, there's always this danger of going down this tunnel vision where there's we, we only have to achieve or we need to achieve this one thing. And for you, in this example, of course, is winning a job. But then we lose sight of so many things when we force ourselves down this tunnel, right? Yeah. And like you said, the, the moment you, you took a step back and look at the bigger picture, there's many things um, to life yeah, yeah, yeah. than to just win a job. Of course, would you like to win a job or would anybody like to win a job? The answer is yes. Who wouldn't want to um, be, be part of an orchestra to have uh, a decent kind of uh, payroll coming in? But if you don't get it or if things don't work out for you, that at the same time doesn't mean that you're any lesser of a musician and doesn't mean that you are not a good musician and doesn't mean that you can't make a career out of music, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. Like, um, I was... I mean, like, when I teach um, people now or, like, when people come to me for advice or, like, any friends, you know, we're talking about going overseas, they were asking, they're asking me about opinions and stuff like that. Um, I always tell them my mistake, you know? Like, what you said. Um, it doesn't mean if you don't win a job means you're not good. Or if you don't win a job means you're unsuccessful. Or it doesn't mean... Mm. That if you win a job or if you get uh if you get uh positions in or fellowships in music festivals means you're good. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think in general you have to take uh music more like you have to uh, you have to love it. La. You don't have to think it don't think it as a job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like what you're doing now, where you are writing your own music, you're performing your own music, you're doing this kind of new uh, video project and stuff like that. Do you think that that kind of gives you a little bit uh do you feel like this kind of work? is more meaningful than actually having a full-time job in an orchestra that you turn up every day and rehearse. I think, I think, okay, I think you have to, you have to put it this way. Like, I think both are meaningful. Like, mm. for me, I'm a musician that I always want projects. I always want uh, performances to look for, look forward to. I always want drive, you know. I want someone to tell me, oh, you know what, Derek, you have this upcoming solo um, in October, you know. For me, I'll be practicing, you know, I'll be, oh, every day I'll be grinding, I'll be grinding. Um, mm. For me, getting projects, like creating new works, it's also part of the process. It, it's, it's really interesting. And also with, when you do it with friends, it's just very fun. You know, I think that's, like you don't earn money from that, right? You don't get much financial <laughs> uh, benefits from all this. But that's why, I mean, that's why we chose to be musicians. You know, I think the process is very important. And yeah. Um, when you when you see your work being done, when you when you see your work being published, um, yep. when COVID, before COVID happened, when you see the audience clapping for you, you know you 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 feel that it's all worth it. All the hours you put in mm. the practice room is all worth it. But yeah. for orchestra job, I, I get what you mean. Like you know, many of them you know just go in the morning, they they do their orchestra job, they're done, they go back home, they don't do anything related to music. I mean, it might be mm. a chore, it might be a like a job for many, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, but I think they also put in a lot of hard work before they reach that stage in their life when maybe you know maybe now they're like older they have kids mm. and you know they have different priorities in life you know now maybe they want to perfect sure. their art of cooking spaghetti compared to <laughs> compared to you know 
perfecting their C minor skill, right? So sure. I think I think sure. I think it's wrong to like say um um who and who or who they are not you know they are not doing like a real they are not a mu- real musician you know they don't care about their art yeah yeah I think mm. F- fair enough yeah completely agree with you as well the, I think for me how I see it is like I said uh, also earlier in the in our conversation is the difference between being a cock in a machine versus you steering the ship or operating the machine. I think, um, of course, this would appeal to different kind of personalities. Yeah. So there would be people who are okay with being an orchestra musician for their life and they, they are interested in it and they find meaning in it in a way that they love being part of this larger picture Although they are, you know, they, they could be playing a, a very prominent role, they could be playing a smaller role, but they like this uh, sense of kind of teamwork and being part of a larger picture. Whereas there are other people who are more interested in uh, having complete artistic control over what they're doing. Because at the end of the day, I think when you are performing in an orchestra, the artistic control is not completely down to you. Yeah. I would say almost zero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You are a tool. You are like, yeah, I mean, do, do. yeah, you are supposed to execute. Yeah. You know, yeah. you you don't have a say or not much of a say in what goes on in the program for the season. You don't really have that much control over how you like to play your solo because you can, of course, you have to prepare it a certain way. But then when you come to the rehearsal and the conductor be like, no, let's change this, 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 this. And it is completely not the way you'd like to play it. But in a way, you don't have control over that. You just yeah. have to execute. I mean, yeah. to, to put it like a, in a bad way, like when I was studying in New York, my teacher always said, you know, if you're when you're a musician in the orchestra, you're actually like a soldier in the army. You know, you follow your commander. Mm. Even if you think you're wrong, uh, even if you think he's wrong, he's right. You know, he's always the boss. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if exactly. if the score writes uh, a forte and you play a forte and the conductor says, "Oh no, what you know what? Play piano." You can't you can't just tell him, "Oh, Mister Conductor, uh, I have to play forte, right?" You you can't. Then you just lose your job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unless you're perfectly okay with you know not having a job anymore. Yeah, which actually you work so hard for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In the first place, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think it's quite interesting. And I think uh, thank you so much for. Uh, sharing your experiences in New York, how you are thinking about progressing in your career and all that kind of stuff. I think this is all really good stuff that people need to hear and make the decision for themselves whether which path you would you like to go down. Yeah, I definitely. Think- yeah, I hope that they, people don't feel like they have to be funneled into one particular path. Yeah. That is, if you learn an instrument, you have to go play in a professional organization. Otherwise, your career is over. I think I think in general, yeah. like uh, the message I want to put across is um, you have to love what you do. You know, you have to really enjoy what you do and you have to really know what you want. You know, when you know, when mm. you know what you want, I think you will find everything more enjoyable and more uh, easy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Then higher motivation and all that kind of stuff yep. to just get up and do your job, right? Or... Some be- some people call it not even like work. You just get up and 
yeah, whatever. I think that, execute. I think that's a lie, Vincent. Like you know, when people say, <laughs> when people say, you know, uh, I love my job, so it's not like a job. I think that's that's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Cool. And with that very wise statement, I think it is just about time for us to wrap this up. Uh, thank you so much for coming onto the show, Derek. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, Vincent. Yeah, and thank you for being so honest with your sharing. And yeah, I think it's really insightful with you talking about your career developments and how you swapped from one instrument uh, to the other. Uh, yeah, I had an absolutely lovely time uh, speaking to you and I hope that uh, you did too. Oh, thanks for having me, Vincent. Yeah, it was a pleasure. And this has been a wonderful start to my day and I, <laughs> I, I hope it is for you as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm going back to sleep now. Good. <laughs> cool. Yeah, very well. So on that note, uh, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time.